Let's now read Micah 5, 5 through 15, and the word of God. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod and its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like a dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass which delay not for a man, no wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, threads down, and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land, and throw down all your strongholds, and I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes, and I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands, and I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Our gracious Heavenly Fathers, we now open your word. We ask that again you would illumine our minds concerning the things that you would have us to hear. We ask that you would indeed mold us and shape us into the image of your son. We ask that you would speak to us concerning where we stand before you in terms of the things that you would have us to be doing for your glory in your kingdom. Speak to us now. And Father, we lift up Molly uh, Barnes to you at this particular point, and we ask that you, Lord, will grab hold of her even now and grant her that peace that passes all understanding. We ask that you would touch her body, and you ask that you would Touch those who are attending, who will be attending to her, and give them again the fullness of the gift that you gave them when you allowed them uh, to matriculate in school and, and to be equipped to be those who would attend to her. We ask all these things in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. So brothers and sisters, this passage, again, as I mentioned, comes to us on the heel of one of the most famous verses in the Bible and thus should be interpreted or seen through the lens of that particular verse. Here I'm referring to verse 2 in chapter 5, which reads, But you, O Bethlehem and Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That verse speaks of the eternal God's incarnation in the person of Jesus Christ, an act that was absolutely necessary, so much so that the word which aptly describes our plight without it is hopeless. We need not look any further than the Old Testament, than Old Testament history to recognize that this assertion that I just made is true. Man was created uh, without sin in God's image totally capable of pleasing God. Adam and Eve could totally please God and, and choosing that which was right. 
Man failed. Man was given a cultural mandate which included fostering an environment of life. Cain responded to that by killing his brother. In Genesis 4.26, we hear that man began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so if you're sitting on the sideline at this point, you're like, yes, yes, they got it. But then they turn right around and in in Genesis 4.26, you hear this. After that, rather, you hear this. In Genesis 6, every intention of man's heart was only evil continually. Moving forward a bit from there, God in his mercy, which immediately came to fore right after man's sin, right? Genesis 3.15, called the people to himself, Israel. His marching orders to them was to, to love him. After all, he loved them first. Then they were to serve him with their whole hearts. And how? By reflecting his character to a lost world. By being a blessing to all the nations around them. So now, not only did they fail in in that respect, but they also killed the folks who God sent to get them back on the right track, his, his prophets. So as a consequence of their waywardness, they became subjected to the distillment of the negative aspects of the covenant that God had unilaterally entered into with Abraham. Covenant had promises of blessing, but also promises of cursing. And so the, the cursings were distilled through them throughout the history. They were taken in by one nation and after another nation, afflicted by this nation or that nation. And as we get to this chapter, then the folks in Jerusalem found themselves in dire straits. They had already heard of or, or witnessed Assyria's domination over and the destruction it meted out upon Israel and its subsequent destruction of a majority of Judah. Jerusalem was standing by itself because only because God had protected it and not allowed it to get taken in two. They had wrongfully, against God's counsel and will, sought to enter into alliances with neighboring nations. You think of Egypt, you think of Syria, and none of that went well. God, if you read Isaiah, for instance, God chides them for trying to enter into those allegiances and showed them the end of those particular nations that were themselves wrapped in sin. And so God now comes along, and in the midst of that, which this, this distillment of his wrath and his cursing and all of this stuff, in the midst of that, he shows up in the form of his prophet Micah and begin to speak or write to those who belong to God, that is his remnant, and offer them a word of hope. And, and that is what you have here. They were dismayed, distraught. Everything around them pointed to the fact that they were going to be taken in, and so they were distraught. But as is often the custom when God is dealing with those who are really his, he comforts them with his word. And so he didn't stop there, but in, here in our passage, he goes beyond what he told them concerning Christ's coming and, and telling them not only about the source of their hope, but how he, the source of hope, would work in and through them to accomplish his purpose. Tonight, I'm going to comment on these things through three headings. First, the task of those called to lead. Second, the work and impact of those who belong to God. 
And third, the cleansing of those who belong to God. Well, first let me say, again, as you looked at the very first verse, and he shall be their peace. And Christian talked about that. But what you see here, once you get into a right relationship and standing with God, you have the peace of God. And the peace of God is to be reconciled with God. You had justly deserved his wrath, sinner born in sin. And by grace, God has grabbed hold of you and made you his own. And so you have peace with God. And then you also have the peace of God. You are now, you, you are able to have the tranquility of knowing that you are on God's side, that you are walking with the Lord and you are able to live with the joy of the Lord as your strength. And who and how? Through Jesus Christ, the object and subject to everything. It is from him, to him, through him, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he shall be their peace, our peace, okay? And the second thing I want to mention again is there's an, an already but not yet nature to this passage, okay? Because when you look at the first two verses, and when it says the Assyrian comes in to our land and, and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes. There seems to be something here that's saying, or when you look at this passage, it seems to be saying that we would conquer, that the Assyrian forces would be conquered by Israel or by Jerusalem. But historically, there is no, nothing to point to that fact ever happening. And so all the commentators would then point out that what must be going on here is that this is actually pointing, especially as it follows the rise of Jesus Christ and him coming in the first century to establish his kingdom, that this then comes after that. And what Assyria and Babylon here, uh, through the word the land of Nimrod, is alluding to Babylon. Those are the two places or the two nations that came against them. Uh, 701, when you talk about uh, Sennacherib and you talk about Assyria and then 586 with Babylon and so on and so forth. Those were, this is what they would have understood. These are the places that they would have known. So if Micah had said to them, look, when they come into Ridgeland or Madison, they would have no clue what he was talking about. So he's talking to them in language that they can understand, but it's actually pointing forward to all of God's enemy throughout time. You get it? It's, part, it's pointed to all of God's enemy throughout time. So when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, when the enemies of God come, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men, our verse 5 says. And here the seven shepherds, we, we know we often hear that seven is it's the perfect number, God's perfect number. And so when you hear seven shepherds and eight princes of men, it's not just saying, oh, it's actually seven uh, shepherds and eight princes of men. What it's saying is that God will raise up a full complement of the people that are necessary to do the work of his kingdom, to fight on his behalf. God is not out here in this day and age striking any folks down or doing this or that. He is working in and through us for his purposes and for his glory. And so these seven shepherds and eight princes of men, they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, right? So again, they would have been seeing this imagery of this shepherding with this sword. 
But the sword that we are called to deal with in this age is found in Ephesians, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so what, literally what you're seeing here is he's saying these are the task or what's being said, spoken to here is the task of those who are called to lead, those who are called to shepherd the flock of God. In Acts 20, you find Paul speaking to the elders and telling them to shepherd the flock of God. Jesus Christ came and he died and he justified us, but then he called and gifted people, leaders, to stand in the gap for him and to perpetuate his gospel, to take forth his gospel. And the gates of hell, remember Jesus said that I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not, what, prevail against it. The gates of hell are not assaulting heaven. Heaven is assaulting the gates of hell. When we preach the gospel, when we do the works of the kingdom, we are assailing the gates of hell. It's not the other way around. We are not under defensive. We are under offensive, and the weapon of our warfare is not carnal, but mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. And so those throughout history, starting with the apostles, and then the church fathers, and then you have all these councils throughout the ages, the Council of Nicaea, Chalcedon, Constantinople. You have all these councils where men of God had gathered together to deal with the heresies that were coming against the church because they were trying to take the church in directions that it, the church of Jesus Christ, in directions that Jesus himself did not call so. And so the false teachers and everyone else that comes against us, Whoever comes against the people of God, the leaders of God are called. The leaders of God are called to protect the church through the word, through the preaching of the word. That is the one thing that, the word, that Christ has given us, the preaching of his word. And so throughout history, we have again a record of God's people coalescing to fight the forces of heretical teaching in the church. All the councils that I just mentioned. Every creed that you stand here and repeat on Sunday mornings were creeds that came about because there was heresy afoot in the church and men of God stood and came up with those creeds as a defense against those things were, that were trying to assail the church. And so again, the people here understood and, and they understood in their terms that yes, there was an Assyrian army. Yes, there was Babylon. Yes, these things were going on. But Micah is speaking towards the future, not just about Assyria and Babylon, but all the forces that were trying, that would be trying to come against God's people. And so as, as John MacArthur and same thing, Richard Phillips and all these and, and our voice, they all voice the same thing. And that is that it is a shame when a pastor, when a leader is not taking care of God's people, not preaching God's word, and not protecting God's people by the right distillment of the word of God. And instead, telling them about seven reasons for this and, and five reasons for that and, and all kinds of stuff that has nothing to do with the fact that we need to know that we are sinners saved by grace. We need to know that we need to rely on God at every turn. We need to know that there is no hope in anything else except for Jesus Christ. And that is the job of those who God has called to shepherd his, fat, his, his flock. 
And so now we move from there. And then the next thing I want to point out to you here again, as I talked about, is the work and impact of those who belong to God. And so I just talked about the leaders in the church. But every single person in the church has a responsibility to God. God did not just save you and then just walk off and leave you to figure it out on your own or to not do anything. Oh, I'm saved and that's it now. First Corinthians tell us that all of us have gifts that we're supposed to lead, okay? But look at verse 7 now through 9. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like a dew from the Lord. Now you need to know and understand that in Palestine it was very, very dry. And so when the, when the dew came and the dew rested on the land, it was like a source of refreshment in the land. And that's the, the imagery that they would have right here, like showers on the grass. You know, there are times in Mississippi and, and stuff when it's really dry and people are crying or, 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 or complaining that, man, I wish it would rain. And then when the rain comes, the farmers are like, yes. So, you see? And so the remnant of Jacob shall be with them in the midst of people like dew on the ground, which delay not for man nor wait for the children of man. Hear what we are supposed to understand concerning ourselves. Jesus said it. You are the salt of the world. If the salt loses its flavor, where else would it be salted? Right? You are the light of the world. And so every last one of us, we are called to be salt and light. And we are called to be dew. We are called to be those folks who bring goodness to society. We are the one that's called to bring goodness to, to society. We are the one that's called to do all, to do great things and to benefit society greatly. Think about this for a second. When man sinned, the world was turned upside down. Everything is upside down. You saw killing immediately. You saw a, a familial relationship. Husband and wife strife big time against each other. She wants to rule. He wants to dominate. All sorts of stuff just completely upside down. And then Jesus came and he spoke the Sermon on the Mount. And he spoke of the ethics that we should live by. And they were new to the people who were listening. But he spoke of how things should be in a right side up world. And then he gave us his spirit so that we could be the purveyors of blessing, the same thing that Israel was supposed to be in the Old Testament, and that is to be a blessing to everyone that's around them, to be a blessing to the sphere of influence that they were in, and to bring glory to God through the things that they were doing. That is what they were supposed to be doing. Our Yakima mission trip that we went on, went over there and they were talking about how in the past things had happened so bad to them in terms of what people had done to them. And they were talking about how pleasant it was and how the people look forward to the people that were coming uh, through Sacred Heart to go over on those mission trips and to come in there. And so we went in there and the people who have been going on the Yakima trip have been like a dew from heaven and a sweet shower to the people in Yakima. It was amazing to hear them talk about how things, how badly they used to look at folks like you and how they look at you now. Why? Because God working through Christians have ministered to the people in those areas and for his work and his glory. 
But God Ministries. I just went to, attended um, Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, had a workshop for pastors to talk about how the church could start working for those women on this side of Roe versus Wade, how the church could start working for these women who are now having to have their babies because there are no abortion clinics in Mississippi. And he specifically said that, guess what? The eyes of the nation is on Mississippi because Mississippi was the person or the, 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 the state that started the role to get rid of Roe versus Wade. And so guess what? An awesome thing. You know how he started and ended his meeting? The, the Speaker of the House started and ended his meeting by praying better than many of the pastors that I know, biblically and everything else. So God has raised up a man like that and put him in that for the benefit of society. Likewise, all of us for the benefit of society, wherever we are placed, are supposed to be salt and light, are supposed to be those people who God uses for his glory. Felicia, I just went to a, a Jackson Leadership Foundation meeting and, and saw Felicia give a testimony. She is a member of, of Redeemer Church just down the road and a founder of Grant Me Justice. Now, if you know me, you know that when I first heard the word Grant Me Justice, I was like, she needs to get away from me with that woke mess, okay? But as I listened to her, it turned out that that is not what the case is at all. Her daughter was murdered in Jackson two years ago. And so she started this nonprofit, and if you don't know it, 500 people have been murdered in Jackson between 2020 and 20, and right where we are right now. 500 people murdered. I'm not talking about heart attack or this or that. Murdered, okay? And so this woman has stepped up, and she, you should hear the things that she is doing in terms of ministering to people throughout Jackson who have suffered the loss of their children and, and family members and stuff, stuff through acts of violence. And it is through her understanding of who she is in Christ that she is out there and she made sure to say, I always minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single one of them. That is being due in the society where you are placed, okay? And the thing, but God ministries, I brought up the fact that a whole bunch of people are walking around with entitlement mentalities in our, in our society today. And so right there and then there was the CEO of But God Ministries. It's a ministry that's based out of Madison. But they are doing some tremendous work in the Delta, one of the poorest areas or one of the poorest areas, not in Mississippi, but in the United States of America. And if you heard of the things that they're doing, I mean... I, it, it was hard for me to restrain myself from saying, hallelujah, this is incredible, what they're doing. But once again, it is the people of God. It is the people of God throughout history that have been the result, that have caused hospitals to be where they are, in the arts, in literature, in everything. And so my question to us is, are you in the game for Christ? Are you... Can you be considered to be due in your influence, in your sphere of influence? And don't expect the folks to say anything about it. Hurricane Ian, for instance, we have uh, Arkley Hooten down, still down there. People, it's no longer in the news, 
But Samaritan Purse, down there doing tremendous work, helping people who lost their homes, lost everything that they have, but the, the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ is being shed abroad in Florida right now in other parts of the world through our mission to North America in different areas and especially where Hurricane Ian hit. You think of Johnny and Friends and, and the work that they do with wheelchair and how they have impacted nations all across the world. I mean, I can go on and on and on and talk about what God is doing through his people. And I don't have to mention ESL because I talked about it here. And so Jesus Christ has given us his peace. He has called the leaders to protect his church because he said, I am building my church and the gates of hell will not <clears throat> prevail against it, right? And so then he has called a remnant. He has called you and I to be due, okay? And then we are among the nations. And it says here in verse 8, and the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations in the midst of many people. Like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep. It almost seems like it contradicts verse 7. Because verse 7 is saying that we will be arbitrators of, of peace, of, of blessings. And here it's saying, oh, wait a minute. They're going to be coming like lions, tearing stuff up. And they're going to be taking over stuff and so on and so forth, right? But brothers and sisters, as you read and, and study and look at this stuff, what we're actually hearing is the same thing that you've been hearing me echoing. Jesus is building his church in and through us, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. In every single place where you go, you read Voice of the Martyrs, you look at other stuff like that. You know what you see? You see people coming against the church, trying to persecute the church. And in every instance, in every area where folks try to persecute the church, the church rises. Right now in China, there's millions and millions and millions of Christians in an area where you're not allowed to be a Christian openly. And the same thing goes for every nation. Wherever you go and the people of God are persecuted, guess what? The gates of hell cannot uh, prevail against it. God is working in and through his people, and his people will rise up. The word of God is a two-edged sword, and it will conquer. Jesus Christ is conquering for his glory, and he's doing it through his people. And so as he's speaking to these people, as Mike is speaking to these people, he's causing them to, to walk or to think boldly, to understand and walk in the courage and the favor of the Lord, knowing that they are the ones who, Isaiah said, are waiting on the Lord, the remnant, are waiting on the Lord. They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Their patience, their endurance, their ability to go on will be renewed as they uh, receive hope through the word of God. And so that is what you see here. You see our Lord who saved us and who's building his church and now has given us the mantle to protect his church, has given us the mantle to be of benefit to society. It reigns, brothers and sisters, on the just and on the unjust. We're not supposed to get in our little silos like Israel did. We're not supposed to allow ourselves to be conformed to the world like Israel did. We are supposed to be distinctively Christ in the world, benefiting the world for his glory in all spheres of the world, in every corner of the globe. 
That is what we're called to. And those, again, who wait on the Lord in that sense, that not, and I mean wait, I don't mean stand there and wait for God to do something. The wait here is to be active, right? Those who are actively engaged in the work of the Lord, you know what happens to them while they're doing that? You see, there's no neutral. There, you know how you have a car and you have neutral? There's no neutral when it comes to Christianity. There's no neutral when it comes to serving God. You're either going to be moving backward as the dog to its vomit, or you're either going to be moving forward in your sanctification. And if you engage, when you engage what God is doing volitionally, God starts doing things in you. Okay, when you submit to what God is doing and how he's moving and submit to working, commit to working in the gifts and the areas that God has given you, right? Here you find there are four things. It, when we start looking here now and moving for, to 10 through 14, you find there's four things, and this is the last point, the cleansing of those who belong to God. So here in verses 10 through 14, God promises to effectively remove four kinds of worldliness as you serve God in the spheres of influence that he's called you to. As you, be, as you are that do in your specific areas, four things that God is doing while you're walking. Think of, of, of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. As he had, this, he had this big old thing on his back, and as he was walking along, stuff started just dropping off of him. Remember that? And once it dropped off totally, he was like, wow. So we won't finally rid ourselves of all sin, but we should be walking in like, wow, wow. So when we come here on Sunday morning, we should be like, people looking at come in this church and be like, man, what's up with those people? They're like, wow, wow, worshiping God like that. Because we are, that, that's the way things are moving in our life. And God is taking things off of us. What is he taking off of us? The first of these warnings, verse 10. <clears throat> He, he moves in verse 10. Let me say we're verse 10 here, right? And in that day declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and I will destroy your chariots. So our reliance on military might is not by might nor by power, but what? By God's spirit. So instead of the church looking for the government to do things for Instead of the church relying on other things, that's what they were doing. They were trying to get into alliances with Egypt, with Syria, with this, whoever would come to them, but not God. But God is the one who is omnipotent. God is the one who's all-powerful. And so God, by his grace, as you wait on him and you work on him and you work in the field for him, rather, he will remove your reliance, your confidence in external things. That does not mean that we don't engage in civil government, but it means that our trust is not in chariots, but our trust is in the name of the Lord, our God. Okay? And then in verse 11, he adds, I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. Again, we trust in on the fortified things that we have, the things that we have put around us, our wealth, our money, whatever the case may be, that's what we're trusting in. But let me tell you something. That could be gone tomorrow. I mean, you know, uh, in, in, in one year, I think, some people portfolio has dropped 18, 20, whatever percent overnight. People jumping out of buildings and stuff like that in, in, in past failures, financial failures, because that is what they were trusting in. 
But God, by his grace, will not allow those who are working for him to trust in those things. He will remove that particular thing. They will not put trust in those things. In verse 12, we hear the Lord declaring, I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortune. In the pagan nations of Micah's day, rulers eased the anxiety for their future by appeal to the occult, to diviners of all kinds. They would, that's who they would go to, to tell them stuff. And let me tell you something. In the Virgin Islands, I've seen this myself. It also happens big time in Haiti, okay? But God, again, will remove. When you have your confidence in the Lord, there will be no need to be checking out the horoscope every day. There will be no need to be engaging in all this kind of, any occult stuff or anything like that. Your confidence is in God. Your faith is in God. Your trust is in God. And he is the one that will be your deliverer. And finally, in verses 13 and 14, the Lord promises to eradicate idolatry from among his people. John Calvin said that our hearts are idol worship, that our hearts of, of idol factories, rather, full of idols. All of us, no matter how saintly we might uh, act or, or want to be, the reality of the situation is our hearts are desperately uh, are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. And so we are in need of being cleansed from our idol factories, our hearts cleansed of our idol factories. And so he says, I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you, and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images from among you and destroy your cities. All of this is being done, not punitively, but so that God can sanctify those who are his, so that they can draw near to the true object of their faith, Jesus Christ, the one who started the work in them and the one who is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You hear me? The Spirit of God is going to bring all these things to pass. And so as these folks looked at this, and by the way, verse 15 talks about God meeting out vengeance on those who came against God's people. And so we don't have to be angry at those who come against us when we try to do the work of God. We don't have to be angry at those who try to speak ill of us. None of that. Vengeance is who's the Lord's, he says. All we need to do is walk in the love of God, preach the word of God, reach, do what with our enemies, love our enemies, right, and our neighbors and ourselves, and God will take care of everything else. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the author of our faith. He is the object, the subject, the all in all of our faith. We should really trust in him at every point and every corner. And God, by the power of his spirit, is going to bring that to pass. All the wonderful ministries of this church is because God has made you dues among the nations, the people. Made you shower a beautiful shower among the people. God has made that, made you that. He's working in and through you. We say it all the time, for his glory and for his purpose. Do not allow yourself to walk out the bounds of that, but walk with the Lord. Again, they that wait on him will renew their strength, will mount up on eagle. That's the same imagery God used when he spoke to Moses to say, 
I bought your people out from Egypt on the wings of an eagle. Okay? And so, brothers and sisters, my exhortation to you tonight, or my question rather, let me go back to my question that I asked some time ago. Are you due in your sphere of influence? Are you due in this church? Or are you on the sideline as the dry grass that needs do? If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are that dry grass. You are the one who is an enemy of God. You are the one who are desperately in need of a Savior. And so I would say to you that that Savior is calling out to you. He wants to rescue you. And not only does he want to rescue you, but he wants to set you on your way with the purpose that he had prepared before you, before, for you rather, before the foundation of the world. He wants you to be due. He wants you to be showered. And for those of you who are being trained in leadership, take heed from Micah that you have a calling to protect the body of Christ, to protect those who Jesus loves with all his heart. And you as his under-shepherd, you have that mantle to do as he has called you to. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the life and the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his enabling of us now to do his work in his kingdom for his purposes and for his glory. We confess that we often uh, do not see and operate in, in the ways that would cause us to, to recognize that we are indeed working for his glory and not our own, that we are indeed called to to speak to those in our sphere of influence concerning the goodness and greatness of our Lord and our God, that we are called to, be bene to benefit society uh, for, again, his glory. Some will never, ever see the gates of heaven, and this is the closest to heaven that they will see. Cause us, dear Lord, not to be like Israel, who did not shine forth the way you want us to, wanted them to, but cause us the new Israel, to walk in a manner that glorifies you among the nations and in our sphere of influence, all to the praise of your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.